going to use this lectern if you think it's okay. We're a small group, and I like to be close to you. Thank you, Paul, for your kind words. Um, I thank God for your faithful ministry here for over 30, 35 years. That is very impressive. Faithfulness to God, faithfulness to God's people. Um, it's a tall order to uh, step into your shoes, but God is faithful. I'm a very different person, very different personality, different style of uh, preaching and perhaps even different style of leadership here and there, but we serve the same Lord and our convictions are the same that this is the word of God, that's what ought to be preached, nothing else. And so I'm looking forward to a wonderful future together with you. Um, first of all, thank you to Garden Chapel for um, the way that you have helped us this past week. We indeed had four men come up to Massachusetts on Sunday, last Sunday, um, and uh, they were present at the farewell dinner at North Leverett Baptist Church. It was just very special to have the guys there and to see the two churches, part of the body of Christ together. Um, that was just so meaningful. And uh, at the end of the evening, one of the elders of North Leverett Baptist Church and Mike Frick, elder here at Garden Chapel, both of them prayed. And I just thank God for that, for that moment. It was very special, very meaningful to us. They helped us move on Monday when we arrived in Middletown on Monday, we uh, were met by another crew that helped to unload. Uh, there was even uh, dinner for, for the movers. And then after the dust settled, we were just overwhelmed with uh, additional kindnesses of the church. Uh, there was food, there were gift cards. And we just want to thank you so much for the way that you have helped us um, feel at home. And uh, we're still settling in. I think that will take a while. <laughs> Uh, but that's part and parcel of moving, but we are looking forward to a wonderful future together for the name and the sake of Christ. So uh, if you please turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 1, I'm going to run upstairs and get the remote. So today we start a new series in the book of Titus. Uh, one of my favorite books, and uh, I did ask Paul, and, and he said, look, I don't remember ever preaching on Titus, so that's perfect. So let's jump right in. We'll read the first four verses, and then I'll briefly pray, and we'll get going. So Titus 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Father, we come before you with humble hearts, recognizing that this is the word of the Lord. And I pray that as I have the incredible privilege of addressing this congregation from your word, that it will be your word and your word alone that will go forth. I pray that you'll give us open hearts, that you will unplug our ears, and that we will hear what the Spirit has to say to this church. And all of it to the glory and the praise of your amazing name. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 
So I'm sure um, all of you are familiar with the concept of a yearly physical. That's the time when you meet up with your doctor for a health evaluation and the time that you get to talk about health prevention. How do you prevent certain health problems from happening? And usually the doctor will say something to you like I've heard many times, hey, you got to eat less and you got to exercise more, right? Well, when you think about the letter that Paul wrote to Titus, um, it is helpful to think about this letter as a spiritual checkup, as a call to take our spiritual pulse as individual believers, but also as a congregation. Now, the concept of spiritual health, oops, sorry, here we go already. Yeah. The concept of spiritual help, health is very much on Paul's mind. So, for example, look in chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. The word sound there is a word in the Greek language from which we get our word hygiene, and literally means to be healthy or to be well. So God desired very much that the church of Christ on the island of Crete, that's where Titus is right now, an island in the south, south of Greece, that this church will be robust and fruitful in their faith. But Paul knows that that kind of spiritual health, individually and corporately, does not happen by osmosis. The church in Crete is, in all likelihood, very young when Paul writes this letter. They have no elders yet, and the church is characterized by false teaching, there's hypocrisy in the church, and there also is just sheer laziness. And Paul's prescription to Titus, his co-worker, who he has left on the island of Crete, is very simply this. Titus, I want you to speak God's word, I want you to defend God's word, and I want you to apply God's word. Do it humbly, but do it boldly. And in the process... Paul presents to us a model of what a healthy church looks like. And that's why the theme of our Titus series is healthy church. Now, I'm going to warn you, you will be, come on guys, there you go, now I'm going too far, um, we will be prodded and we will be poked in the process as we expose ourselves to the teaching of God's word. As we use the book of Titus to kind of evaluate our personal spiritual health and the spiritual health of the church. There are going to be times when we feel uncomfortable and uneasy. But we need to remember that this spiritual checkup is done by our loving all-wise, all-powerful, heavenly physician. We are in good hands. You know how important it is to go to a doctor that you trust, right? We can trust God like no one else in this world. And so the prodding and the poking that we're going to be subject to in the next couple of weeks come from the hands of a loving and skilled physician. Now, next week, we're going to get into some of the nitty-gritty of what a healthy church looks like. But today, our focus is on verses 1 
through 4, where we find some quick facts about this letter. We read about the author in chapter 1, or in verse 1, the recipient, Titus, at the beginning of verse 4, and then the greeting at the end of verse 4. Now, this is a very standard kind of opening in letter writing in Paul's days, and Paul adjusts some of that, but it's very similar to how in those days letters would be written. Uh, They did not have an envelope where they would put the address on, and so all that information was included in the letter. And to be honest, many times when we read Scripture and we get to one of Paul's letters and we read the introduction, we kind of skate over that. Because we think this is formalities. This is just the introduction. I want to get to the real stuff. And that really is a shame because if we linger a little bit longer in those introductions, we will find gems. And those introductions also form the foundation of the rest of the letter. So it's worth our time this morning to focus on what Paul is saying here. So here are the two main points that I have for you this morning based on this text. Number one, a healthy believer is a believer who is committed, devoted, dedicated to Jesus Christ. Number two, a healthy believer is a believer who is committed not only to the person of Jesus Christ, but also to his church. And it logically follows that when you have a church that is filled with people who are committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ and committed to the local church, you have found yourself a community that is spiritually healthy. I do not say perfect. There is no perfect church, and there never will be a perfect church because we're imperfect people. I often say to people, the only perfect thing about this church is Jesus Christ and the word of God. The rest is flawed because of sin. But yet as a church is filled with people that put Christ first and who love the local church, you will find yourself a spiritually healthy community. And my hope and my prayer is that for Garden Chapel. And I will give myself with all of my might in full dependence on the Holy Spirit to, along with you, move more and more and more into that direction. And I'm asking you, and I listened to Paul's message last Sunday, and it was excellent. This is pretty much the same thing, just in another from another book of the Bible. I ask you to do the same. Garden Chapel has had a great past, and it can have a great future, but it starts right here and right now with all of us. And so I pray that as we look briefly at these first couple of verses in Titus, that the Holy Spirit will pour gasoline on the desire that I believe many of you have to put Christ first and to be committed to his local church. And that as we move forward together on this journey, we see God move among us in amazing ways. So here's point number one again. A mature, healthy believer is one who is committed to Jesus Christ. So look at verse one. 
where Paul gives a description of himself and says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He calls himself a servant and he calls himself an apostle. Now, let's review briefly who this Paul used to be. So here again, I'm quoting Paul. This is what he was like before his conversion. 1 Timothy 1.13, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, persecutor, and an arrogant opponent of Christ, of believers, of the church. He participated in killing Christians, but then he goes on in verse 13 of 1 Timothy 1, and he says, but I received mercy, and the grace of God overflowed for me. So picture a cup filled with water, and the water just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing, and it overflows. And Paul said the grace of God was so overflowing that it even reached a sinner like me. An amazing conversion. And now he describes himself no longer as a blasphemer and a persecutor, but as a servant of God, a doulos, a slave, a bond servant. Someone who willingly accepts the lordship of Christ over his life. Places himself under Jesus as Lord. <laughs> now, if you are here this morning and you know Christ as Lord and Savior, that change from opponent to servant, from an enemy of Christ to a friend of Christ, has happened to you. You have exchanged masters. You have exchanged allegiances. Listen to how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5.15. And he, that's Christ, died for all, now listen to this, so that those who live, believers, might no longer live for themselves, but for who? For him, for Christ who for their sake died and was raised. The purpose for which God saved us was so that from that day forward we would live no longer for ourselves, which is our default setting, but for the one who died for us and who was raised for us. Committed, sold out, fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. We sing the song, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. But let's be honest. There are times when we take it back, where we want to be in the driver's seat, where we don't like to be told what to do or how to speak or how to act. We like to set our own agenda. When we make decisions, we just make decisions the way that we think they're best. We don't pray about it as much as we should. We don't sometimes consult the word of God. God wants every square inch of our lives. There is not a part of our lives over which Jesus does not say, that belongs to me. He's Lord. And Paul, by calling himself a servant of God, acknowledges that lordship. And the question that God asks us this morning is, do we? Or are there areas of our lives where a sign hangs on the door which says, do not enter? 
the servant of God. Number two, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul makes it very clear in Ephesians 1.1 that he did not apply for the position of apostleship, but that he was handpicked by God on that dramatic road of Damascus conversion event in Acts 9. In Ephesians 1.1, he says, I'm an apostle by the will of God. Apostles and prophets, New Testament prophets, had a unique authority in the early church. They were given an unrepeatable role and an unrepeatable gift that is no longer necessary today. Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 2 to say that the church is built on a foundation of the apostles and the prophets. You build a foundation, then you build upon it. You don't rebuild and rebuild a foundation. However, the word apostle simply means one who is sent. And so while none of us here are apostles in the New Testament sense, all of us are sent into this world as ambassadors of Christ, as salt and light. Sometimes there are Christians that will think, well, that is the job of the professional holy person. That's me, <laughs> and that's Paul and Peter, the pastor, the missionary, the counselor, the evangelist. It's their job to share the gospel, to present, proclaim the gospel, and that's not a calling that's on my life. And we could not be more wrong when we think that. The Bible places that responsibility and that incredible gift and privilege on all of us to be an ambassador, to be a witness, to be salt, to be light, to let others know that there's a God in heaven who sent his son to die on the cross for sinners who have been estranged from him, who live with this incredible chasm between them and between this holy God that can only be crossed by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what? When we are fully surrendered to Christ, have committed every part of our being to him, this being an ambassador of Christ, a witness of him, happens automatically. You just can't help it. Because you're so in love with Jesus Christ and what he's done for you that you can't help but share that good news with someone else, with the opportunities that God gives us. The ought-to witness becomes a want-to witness. Paul, by marking himself as a servant and as a, of God and as apostle of Jesus Christ, gives us a little bit of a snapshot of what it means for an individual believer to be fully committed to Christ. To put it in different words, it means that you are devoted to the great commandment to love God above all else, and that you're devoted to the great commission, which is to make disciples of all nations. Oh, how much we can grow, how much I can grow in my commitment to Jesus Christ to put him first in everything, always. That's part of what it means to be a healthy believer. Not only committed to Jesus Christ, though, also committed to his church. 
Paul continues in verse 1, and then we find kind of a long sentence which could be described as Paul's job description. Let's just look briefly at the first part. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Devotion to Christ and devotion to his church is inseparable. It is a package deal. In other words, when we are devoted to the person of Jesus Christ, committed to him, put him first, because Christ and his church, the head and the body is connected, it automatically follows, it also involves a commitment to a body of believers. So Paul, again, is our example. He's an apostle, he's a servant, but it's all for the sake of the faith of God's elect. He has a body mentality. Now, don't get too worked up or scared or intimidated by the word elect here. The word elect is shorthand for believers, for those that the Lord has drawn to himself. Paul continues in verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 3 to build on this job description that he's just given us. And it is just absolutely soaked with gospel doctrine. It is just jam-packed. This is the stuff that he believes. This is the stuff that he's committed to. This is what he wants Titus to embrace. This is what the church in Crete needs. This is what Garden Chapel needs. This is what we believe. This is what we have to hold on to. This is what we need one another for. Three things, he says. Number one, purpose. Look again, verse 1, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of, Je of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. The phrase, which accords with godliness, has the idea of growing in faith, growing in knowledge, leads to godliness. Paul's mission is to further the faith and the knowledge of the church towards godliness, towards good works. In other words, the purpose of it all is a changed life. A life that reflects more and more the person and the character of Jesus Christ. A sign of spiritual health, both individually and as a church, is spiritual growth. Let's imagine a two-year-old that's drinking from a sippy cup. None of us will think that that is odd because that's part of where that child is developmentally. Now picture a 12-year-old drinking from a sippy cup. Now all of us are kind of noticing that and thinking, wow, there's something wrong with this picture. So many believers who have known the Lord for many years still drink from a sippy cup. They have not grown in their faith or their, grown has been, their growth has been so slow because they're not committed to Jesus Christ, committed to a bunch of other things because we're always committed to something. We always worship something or someone. God's desire for us as Christians and for us as a church is to grow, 
to become mature in our faith, to have a life that is changed, that more and more falls in line with Christ and with his word. That's what Paul is devoted to. That's what, what he was aiming for when he's writing this letter to Titus and assumes that Titus is going to read this letter to the church. This purpose of godliness. That's why he talks so much in his letter about good works. Not because good works save us. No, good works are the result of being saved. It's the fruit, not the root. That's so important. Purpose. He also talks about the ground, the root, the foundation. Look in verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word. There's so much here. Let me just point out one thing. In this verse, what Paul is doing is he's looking down the corridor of time. And he says, God's grace began before your conversion. God's grace began before the cross of Christ. God's grace began, now I'm quoting him, before the ages began. Literally, it says, before times eternal. I mean, you think back in history and you go back to eternity past, which is a difficult concept for us to grasp in the first place. And Paul says this hope of eternal life was promised, originated, began before that. In other words, the ground of the ministry of Paul, the ground of what we're trying to do here at Garden Chapel, the ground of our faith is God's unshakable promise of salvation. That those who turn from sin, away from sin, and turn to Christ will be saved. Paul's ministry was not a job. It was not a hobby. It was rooted in the most glorious plan of salvation by the most glorious God. And aren't you grateful that you, by faith, know that God? It's amazing. That's the foundation. One more thing. How does that gospel, how does that good news then come to us? Number three, the means. The means is the proclamation of the gospel. So let's read again verse 3. I'm beginning verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word, word here probably refers to the gospel, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. This good news of the gospel has come from God through the preaching with which Paul says, I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. Sometimes you will hear a statement like this. Preach the gospel at all times if necessary, 
these words. You ever heard something like that? It's a tribute to Franciscus of Assisi, although I recently read that he never said or wrote anything like that. Or something like this. You may be the only Bible some people read. You ever heard that? What is true about those statements is this. The gospel, what we say, must agree with our words, must agree with our deeds. We have to live the gospel. If we are a contradiction, if we say this is what God's word says, but we live a different way, we are contradicting the message. So I get what these statements are hinting at. However, you cannot preach the gospel without words. In other words, they need, the world, unbelievers need to hear someone talk to them about sin and judgment and the cross and the love and the grace of God. No one gets saved by merely looking at a changed life. It may elicit questions, but the gospel is inherently verbal. That's why mission organizations, and we should support them with all of our might, spend millions of dollars on translating the Bible in languages so that those who have never heard the gospel can read the gospel for themselves, can listen to the gospel being preached to them, and taught them so that they can respond. As Paul says in Romans 10, faith comes through the hearing, and hearing comes through what? The word, the word of Christ. I'm so thankful that Garden Chapel is a Bible-based church. If it wasn't, I would not be here. I would not be here. I don't want to fight the battle that this is the word of God and spend every sermon trying to defend that this is the word of God. I'm so glad that God has led me to a church that believes that this is God's inspired word standard for all we say and all that we do as a church and as individuals. The proclamation of the gospel is the heart of Paul's ministry and it should be the heart of the ministry here at Garden Chapel. But here's, looping back to my second point, a mature, healthy believer, committed to Christ, committed to the local church. Note again that the ministry of Paul was always tied to the local church. He was a servant and an apostle for the sake of the faith of God's elect, specifically in this letter to those in Crete. Paul did not believe that Christianity is just Jesus and me. That's why most of his letters are written to churches or to individuals who are in leadership positions in different churches. That's why in verse 4, he says this letter was written to Titus, my true child, in a common faith. We have a shared faith. We are connected together. Scripture teaches that the church, in all of its diversity and all of its aspects, is a greenhouse for spiritual growth. It's the place where we come and gather to rub shoulders with other believers, 
the place where we use our spiritual gifts, the place where we're taught and where we teach, the place where the body functions as God designed it to function. And so I ask you again, do you share that similar commitment? Or is church kind of like the icing on the cake? Just something that is a bonus, a tradition, a ritual, but not a necessity. Imagine someone who's married but never moves in with his or her spouse. We would say technically they're married, right? Though we all agree that's not the purpose of marriage. And that's what happens with a lot of believers. They're Christians. They have professed faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So now they're connected to God, but they have forgotten the peace that now they're not only connected to God, they're also automatically connected with other believers. And that God has called them and designed them for a life of togetherness. Even over the, the past six months, in a church in, in, in Massachusetts, there were about three or four individuals who have just gone off the rails. And in each of these cases, they lived, for all intents and purposes, an isolated Christian life. Not plugged into church, into the church, not rubbing shoulders with other believers. God's heart for us is to be with people that we belong to, to be not just a spectator, watches what it happens on stage, but a participant. To be people who use their time, their energy, their gifts, their money for the growth of his church and the furtherance of his kingdom. And I ask you once again, are you willing to commit to that? To commit to Jesus Christ first and automatically flowing from that, committing to a local assembly of believers all of us, new believers, oh, the church needs your zeal and needs the questions that you have about the Christian faith. Those struggling in faith, hey, aren't we all struggling from time to time? There are no perfect Christians. Seasoned believers, oh, you have much to offer. But the danger you have as a believer that's known Christ for many years is that you will just coast. There is no coasting in the Christian life. You're as a young adult. This church needs you as much as much as you need the church. God has given us this body of believers. We're part of his family. Are we committed? First of all to him and flowing from that to one another, to his church.